And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on all the way you want, son. There'll be peace when you are gone. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 111 of Lupa's Bits. I am your host, Lupa, and holy crap, it's November. What the hell? Um, it seems like I blinked and it was summer, and now it's like November, winter. Fall was like, what, three weeks? <clears throat> um, by the time you're listening to this, I should be safely ensconced in my mother's trailer in Holiday, Florida, enjoying the 80-degree weather. But right now, as I'm recording this, I am still at home in the home studio, which is my bedroom. So, (laughs) um, I'm packed. I'm leaving for my sister's tomorrow, which is Halloween. And then Tuesday, my mom is picking me up at 11 and she's getting the hell out of the driver's seat. I'm getting in the driver's seat and we are heading to Florida. So, yay. Because weather's starting to get a little icky here. They're out brining the roads. Um, if you don't know what that means, they're putting salt water down on the roads to prevent black ice from forming. Um, you can see the, the plows are out. And, I mean, there's nothing to plow. It hasn't snowed. But they get the plows out. They take them into the shop. They get them all tuned up, ready to go. They drive them around and kind of wear them in. Um, sand trucks are out, filling up with sand. So, you know, it's a thing. Final destination goes by three or four times a day um, instead of just the regular once or twice a week that I usually see it. The closer it gets to winter, they pick up. Um, so, yeah, I'm kind of glad to be getting out of Dodge. So this is actually the first um, Halloween in a while. Well, this is the first Halloween. Well, I'm not even actually spending Halloween in this apartment. This is the first Devil's Night, because that's what tonight is. It's Devil's Night that I've spent in this apartment. In light of last night's nightmare. Oh, yay. <laughs> Why did I have to suddenly think of that? Awesome. I had a really bad nightmare last night that in the light of day uh, freaked me out, but I was OK. And when the sun went down. I was no longer okay. (laughs) Um, I've never felt uncomfortable in my own home. Certainly not in this apartment. I've always, I made sure when I moved in, I cleansed any negative energy. Um, The previous tenant died in the apartment, um, in my bedroom, actually. And I wanted to make sure I cleansed all of that energy out. So I did all of that and my apartment felt great. It's always felt great. I've always loved being here. And then I had that nightmare last night. And today I have been jumpier than a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Mm-hmm. I couldn't pack my stuff fast enough. I'm like, maybe I could go to my sister's tonight. Oh, speaking of my sisters. So my mom sold her bed. And I was kind of wondering, well, what's Dave, not my Dave, their Dave, going to do when his kids are there? 
for the weekend because his kids come every, they have a renter named Dave and he has three kids and they come every um, weekend. He gets custody every weekend. So I'm wondering like, well, mom sold her bed. So he and the two young ones slept in the bed and the teenager slept on the air mattress. What are they going to sleep on? Maybe he's going to go buy some more air mattresses or he's finally going to break down and buy himself a bed. No, no. I found out I'm sleeping on the couch tomorrow night with the dog because they, my nephew and my niece, when I was staying there helping um, pack and with the yard sale and babysitting and all that, I was sleeping in my niece's bed and um, my niece <clears throat> was sleeping on the floor in my sister and brother-in-law's bedroom. Well, because, you know, my nephew didn't think that was fair. He was sleeping in there too. So my sister has like, it's almost perfect for my sister. Okay. If they had this bed that my Dave created, came up with the Texas King, if you will, copyrighted to David K. Montoya. Um, my sister would be extremely happy. She would be more than ecstatic to have all of the children and her husband and the dog in the bed with her while she slept. My brother-in-law, on the other hand, not so thrilled. <laughs> he doesn't sleep very well when the kids are in the bed because, you know, arms and legs and expanding spaghetti monsters when they sleep. So she dismantled my nephew's bed and dismantled my niece's bed and moved them downstairs for Dave's kids um, to sleep on. So the rooms are empty. There's no furniture in them. There's nothing. They're just empty rooms because they are moving at the end of November. They have to get out. So all of their stuff is actually going to go into storage until they can get into their new place in the spring. Um, yeah, they're going to rent a bed and breakfast throughout the winter. <clears throat> anyway, so yeah, I'm on the couch with the dog. I'm sure the dog's going to be absolutely thrilled. Um, I am probably, oh, I can't, I don't have, oh, yes, I will. I have to pick them up tomorrow. I'm probably going to have to take a sleeping pill tomorrow night. Um, I will take it early, like eight o'clock so that it's well out of my system by the time I get up in the morning, because I'll be driving eight hours tomorrow or nine hours. Depends. I hate taking them, but I want to be able to fall asleep. I don't want to be driving eight or nine hours on four or five hours sleep. So, um, we'll see. We'll see. Who knows? I could be up all night because I'm afraid to go to sleep and be exhausted enough to just go to sleep at eight o'clock tomorrow night anyway. But, uh, yeah. So tomorrow is Halloween, but not for you guys. When you're listening to this, Halloween will have come and gone and we will be into November. So I hope you all had a fabulous Halloween. And now that we're at least six minutes in, I should probably get to housekeeping before my live studio audience goes all business, Dave, and glares at me. <laughs> okay, so first thing on the docket for housekeeping, Zombie Works, Unwelcomed, Stories of Possessions and Hauntings, is now available at MythMart and Amazon.com. Please buy from MythMart first. I would appreciate it because I will get a bigger cut of my royalty out of that book because I have a story in that book. Uh, it's chock full of really good stories. They range from 
really, really scary and creepy to, holy crap, that was funny. <laughs> but they all deal with possessions and hauntings of some form, be it a ghost or a memory. Um, it's a really, really, really good book. I thoroughly enjoyed editing it, and you can find it at MythMart and Amazon.com. And I hope you all took advantage of the uh, Halloween sale. It's for one day only, and that was 50% off. Wait. MythMart is offering a buy unwanted and get natural. Oh, instincts. Instincts. <coughs> It says natural instant, so, you know, it's a good thing I edit on the fly. Natural instincts for 50% off. Enter BOO 2022. So I hope that you guys did that and you took advantage of that and you got two anthologies for the price of one and a half. Um, this is about me. <laughs> I am expected to arrive in California on the 8th. And we'll be meeting with fabricators to move forward on the Mythketeers Club. And if you want to, like, throw out some ideas of what you would like to see in the Mythketeers box, we have a kind of set idea of what we're going to put in it. But we are always willing to listen to our, our, um, <clears throat> our readers and um, our listeners to see what you want. So, you know, let us know. <laughs> okay, so the new author release Okay, hang on, I need to edit on the fly here Let me read it first Ah, okay, missing a letter The new author release form Was used for the first time Since being approved by the board of directors And it went picture Perfect with all the authors in the new Zombie Works anthology. We all had to sign this new, even me, even me, and I work for the company. Yes, even me. I had to sign the release form as well. I had to sign off and say, yep, that is what I want. Um, and it worked great. Uh, it was announced today, which I'm assuming was yesterday. It was announced at some point in the previous week that Alan Russo, or the, the two weeks ago, it was announced in October that Alan Russo <laughs> will be stepping down as chief business officer, and there has been no word as to who will replace him. <laughs> snicker, snicker. I know something you don't know. <laughs> I'm not telling you. Anyway, being announced today is that David K. Montoya will be formally stepping down as chairman of the board, chief executive officer, and publisher of the company starting December 31st. Well, no, he actually has to work December 31st. As of January 1st, he will no longer hold those titles. December 31st will technically be his last day of work, and trust me, I will work his butt off. Okay, the people who will who will be replacing him are Walter G. Esselman, who will become chairman of the board. Me. I will become the new CEO. <laughs> and Kevin Adams will be the new publisher. Gary Falls Jr. has been named to replace me 
as CFO after my promotion. Congratulations, Walter and Gary, I think, and Kevin. I did not forget you, Kevin. Congratulations to Walter, Kevin, and Gary, and to myself. I think we, as a collective, will breathe new life into the company. We will take it probably in a direction that Dave had never even thought of. And there are good, there are good things, there are great things coming to this company. Um, it is undetermined whether or not Gary is going to continue to head up MythMart, but probably not. And according to my live studio audience, he will not be heading up MythMart. So we are, um, are we in talks? We are in talks with somebody to uh, be the general manager of MythMart. Um, where am I? And don't forget to read the stories in the magazine and to vote once for your favorite contributor. Um, and if you're really, really, really enjoying the story, let the author know, leave a comment, drop a smiley face. It takes two seconds of your time. And it means the world as a writer to me, when I get comments on my work, means the world to me. Absolutely means the world to me. Um, it actually means the comments mean more to me than the votes do, to be honest. Uh, production over at Dark Myth Comics will be starting this week. And Dave wants to meet with the editor-in-chief, Henry Heinrich, Henrik, this week as well. Uh, contracts for the first and second place winners of the Open Contract Challenge have been are expected to go out this week as well. Uh, so if you are the first place and second place winner, keep an eye on your email and your spam folder. For some reason, sometimes that's where they get shuttled um, for your contracts. And that, I do believe, is it for uh, housekeeping. My tongue's not working today. Um, Take a moment and answer a question. Your question. <clears throat> okay, so today's episode is brought to you by Mike Lutz, actually. He, um, him and I were working together on a little side project he's got going. And <clears throat> we were discussing elevator pitches. So I thought, well... They're kind of an awkward thing to do because you don't want to. Now, first of all, what is an elevator pitch? Back in the day when you used to do the circuit, um, writers and uh, especially screenwriters and, and playwrights would kind of stock, literally stock the elevators waiting for a producer or a director or somebody connected to a production house to get in the elevator. And then they've got pretty much from the floor they got in on to the floor they got off on to get their attention, to pitch their project, get their attention, 
and have them hand them a business card and say, you know what, that sounds pretty interesting. Give me a call. We'll talk. So you pretty much have like 60 seconds to get your pitch out. It's the same with writers. You kind of stock the elevators, you stock the conventions, the green room, the vending rooms, looking for those publishers. You go to their tables and you've got 60 seconds to get their attention, to get them interested enough to say, hey, you know, I'm interested in reading that. Give me a call. Basically, it's a very short summary of what makes your book special. You don't want to put in, like, all the details. You want to put in that one hook. What is the major storyline, the crux of your story, the hook? And you want to deliver that in 60 seconds or on a single written page of text. The term is standard in marketing. The, the, the proposal is the standard term in marketing. Um, that's not helping me. I can't even read that. It's all blurry. So an example of an elevator pitch would be, hi, I'm so-and-so, uh, blah, 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 at blah, blah, blah. It's great to meet you. So, you know, since you work with, blah, 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 name, company name or industry, figured you'd be interested to know that, blah, 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 blah. Something like that. So you want to very quickly tell someone about your book in a way that makes them want to buy it or makes them want to read it. <coughs> you can use an elevator pitch for more than just publishers as well. You've already got your book. You're at a convention or you're sitting there chit-chatting. I have sold books um, sitting in a restaurant. I have sold books at a walkthrough of a trailer my mother was looking at. And the woman, asked, oh, well, what do you do for it? Well, I'm a writer. My mom is very proud of the fact that I am a published author. And she tells absolutely anybody who will listen, be it the waitress at the Cracker Barrel or the person trying to sell her their trailer. Doesn't matter. She will tell them, my daughter is a published author. She's got three. So I have to have that pitch right, ready to go right off the tip of my tongue the minute they ask, oh, what do you write? And I usually start with, well, what do you like to read? And that, that right there. Uh, wait, what? Because <laughs> normally you ask a writer, what do you write? Oh, well, I write historical romance or I write horror or I write fantasy. But with me, when they ask, well, what do you write? Hmm, well, what do you like to read? The only time I've ever run into a problem with that answer is when they answer me back, well, I like sci-fi. Well, I can't recommend any of my books, but I happen to know a few really good sci-fi writers that I could, you know, send your way. And usually they'll come back with, oh, well, what do you write? And I'll tell them, I write horror, I like write fantasy, I write historical romance with magical realism, and oh, well, I like this or I like that. So I have an elevator pitch for every single book. 
but I start out with a generalized pitch. I write this. Um, so it catches their attention right away because I don't write just one genre. I write in three different genres and I write poetry. I also write children's books. So it catches their attention right away. Well, then they want to know, well, what do you, what fantasy, what kind of fantasy do you write? Or what kind of horror do you write? Or what kind of, of historical romance did you write? Um, and then I can go into the specific details of what the book is about. But you have to have a hook, something that catches their attention right away. Um, and you have to do it quickly. And you have to be persuasive. <coughs> you have to find a way to use that persuasive speech to spark interest in what you're writing about. Um, yeah, and, it, and a good elevator pitch should last no longer than a short elevator ride of 20 to 30 seconds, but 60 seconds is pretty much the max. Okay, so you want to pitch yourself as a writer, whether it's freelance, whether it's whatever. You want to pitch yourself as a writer, and you want to do it quickly. So you need to be focused and brief, and then you need to grab the editor's attention. And a lot of times, it's not the publisher that you want to get. It's not the publisher that's going to approve your book. The publisher is just going to publish it. What the publisher is going to do, what the publisher is going to do is listen to their editor. It's the editor's attention or the editor in chief, not even the editor in chief. It's the editor, the one that is going to read the book that you want to grab their attention. Because the publisher just publishes. The publisher publishes what the editor says we're publishing, for the most part. My publisher is actually laughing because, yeah, <laughs> I pretty much decide what we publish every year. They come through me. I read them. I weed out the crap. I'm sorry, that's that's the best way to put it. I weed out the crap. And there has been some crap. There has been some stuff that I have actually had to take to the board of directors and go, what do I do with this? Other than burn it or use it as toilet paper. How do I respond to this person? Because they've been really bad. And I was trying to be diplomatic and, you know, encouraging. When I when I turn somebody... <laughs> yeah, yeah, thank you. He's blessing me. Um, when, I, when I turn somebody down, I try and be... Give them constructive criticism. Explain to them why I've rejected their piece and what they could do to improve on it. Um, I had a piece of, of poetry. I think it was poetry. No, it was a story. I had a story come through from somebody in a foreign country, which we do get a lot of work from foreign countries for the magazine. And I had a piece come through, and you could tell within the first six lines that Google Translate was not his friend. So I emailed him back and I, I asked specific questions about his story because he was having it based in Ontario, 
but everything was very American. So I had to ask him, is this based in Ontario, California? Is this based in Ontario, Canada? Where, where's, because it, he made a point of, um, naming a specific place instead of keeping the place generic. Um, so unfortunately you have to kind of be true to that area when you've named an area. Like I'm not going to write about San Francisco and say it's a flat, desolate place with no water and no bridge. Do what now? You have to kind of, when you're describing the place, it has to actually look like the place you've named. So I said, you know, try again. I understand that, that you don't speak, English is not your first language. So maybe try and, and, and fix these errors and, and be a little more descriptive or something. Um, and I sent it back to him. He sent it back and it's still made absolutely no sense. <laughs> it, 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 it was bad. It was really, really bad. I mean, the concept of the story was okay, but it just, it, it crashed and burned. It was really bad. And it, I, you know, I told him, unfortunately, language seems to be an issue. The language barrier seems to be an issue and when you translate your, your work into English, it's not translating very well. So, yeah, grab the editor's attention. So that piece never even made it to, to Dave for, for coding. So he never even saw it. I told him about it later. I think I read some of it to him just to make sure that I was misunderstanding it the way it was written. Um. And target your pitches carefully. You don't want to pitch um, a horror story or a romance story to a sci-fi editor or a non-fiction editor. They're not going to care. That's not what they do. So when you're going to pitch a particular person, read their background. What do they edit? What is their genre? <clears throat> and pitch your piece to those that are in your wheelhouse that are in your genre, get their attention. And the best way to find that out, go to conventions. Go to conventions, go to the vendor's room, because a lot of times editors are sitting, editors and publishers are sitting with their authors at their tables, selling their books. Now, with Dark Myth uh, Publications, we can't necessarily be with every one of our authors in every state at every event because we just don't have that kind of money um we are a purely volunteer run company so we don't have any money <laughs> but a lot of times um people who self-publish or people who publish with a local publishing house they will be there with them or the authors will know how to get a hold of their editors. And if you're talking to the author and you're both fantasy geeks, you got a really good fantasy story, they could look at you and go, hey, here, here's my editor's card. Get a hold of my editor. They might be really interested in reading what you've written. 
See, your, your, your target audience doesn't have to be a publisher, doesn't have to be an editor. It can be an author. It can be your friend who wants to broaden their editing repertoire and posts on Facebook. Anybody have anything new I can edit so that I can expand my experience? And you give them your work with a little spiel. And how I caught his attention was I told him I blow up shit. I've got ships. I've got cannons. I blow up stuff. I blow up a person. There's murder and mayhem and a few ghosts thrown in and there might be some sex. He went, okay. And he took the book. And then he gave it to Dave. And Dave published it. Because Dave actually read it. <laughs> he enjoyed it. But I gave it to Mike. And it ended up going to the publisher. So that's kind of how a pitch works. Because he gave it to Dave on my pitch. And then we ended up in a three-way conversation. Totally unknown to me that this is what this was going to be. And Mike's like, Steph, meet Dave. Dave, meet Steph. Hi, how you doing? And the next line out of that Dave typed in after he said, hi, I'm Dave, was pitch me your book. I think I stopped breathing for about 30 seconds and then typed as fast as I possibly could, as short as I possibly could, and pitched him my book. And this is before he had read it. Mike had given it to him. It had piqued his interest. And then he had me pitch it to him. And it worked. My pitch obviously worked. Because he couldn't see me, so I couldn't be cute and bat my eyelashes at him. So my words had to do, my, I had to do it in six sentences or less, basically. It was a Facebook message group. Um, and it went from there. I have pitched books. A good way to practice doing short, quick, catch-your-attention pitches is to get on Twitter during Pit Madness, Pitch Madness. And it's hashtag PitMad, P-I-T-M-A-D. And they do it twice a year, in the spring and in the fall, I believe. But just, you can watch Twitter, you can uh, search the hashtag, and it'll come up. And what you do, like, Twitter only gives you so much space. So you have to get your pitch in that tiny little word count that they give you and get it out there and get people's attentions. And the only people that are going to like your pitch are going to be publishers and editors that are interested in seeing your work. And um, I did that for Eternally Bound before I found Dave. And I had... Um, Belleville Press in uh, New Orleans, no, Louisiana, wanted to see my work. And she was great. I absolutely loved her. Uh, unfortunately, we couldn't come to an understanding on the um, how the, the story was. Anyway, um, she gave me some really good constructive criticism and we talked. Um, and then there was another publishing house in New York that liked, but you, it's really good practice for writing short pitches to get your elevator pitch right. 
because you get, I think you can do three pitches a day. You can do one in the morning, one in the afternoon, and one in the evening. So you can find out, like you can reword them, you can do them differently, use different tactics, put different things in the pitches, and find out what gets the most interest. And use the hashtag. So all of the publishers and all of the editors are seeing all of the pitches. And they're only liking the ones that get their attention. So you also want to think about what your, um, how to showcase your writing skills. Uh, <laughs> if you're pitching yourself as a writer and not necessarily a piece of work, then you may want to incorporate into your pitch the fact that you can write in every genre or that you are fluent in elven. So you write fantasy very convincing and you can write, you know, or you you speak um, Klingon. So you can put that in your sci-fi, <laughs> you know, work that in or you're great at world building, things like that. You also want to be respectful with the person that you're talking to. They're not just a job. They're not just a door into the next part of your writing career. They are an actual person. And you want to build a relationship with that person. Now, you don't necessarily want to build the relationship as far as I did, but you want to build a relationship with that person. You want to be on some level of friendship or some level of acquaintanceship with the person you're pitching to. That person has to feel like they can trust you, that they they can connect with you. It's the same with your readers. You want to to kind of build a level of um, implied trust because trust does, everybody knows, trust takes time. But you have that implied trust, like, okay, you seem like somebody I can put my faith in. Not that I'm going to put my faith in you just yet, but you seem like somebody I could. So when you're pitching them, you want to be friendly, you want to be open, you want to be um, cordial and respectful. So keep all of those things. I know it's a lot to put in a very short pitch. You have to grab the person that you're pitching, you have to grab their attention. You want to be focused and brief, you want to highlight your talents, you want to kind of think about what you're a specialist in and what your area of, of writing expertise is what's the big hook on the story you've written on the book that you've written is oh yeah if you're pitching Dave likes zombies he's good at zombies and, and killing that's his specialty he he can create and crazy actually it's not the killing and it's not the zombies it's the crazy that goes into the killing that he that is his specialty it is you can get into the, the, the warped mind of a killer and figure out how their brain works, which I think should scare me, make me concerned, maybe. <laughs> Sleep with one eye open. The what? Me. Two. Oh, yes, I can too. So, yeah, you know, sleep with one eye open. <laughs> we'll both be sleeping with one eye open. <laughs> Anyway, this is like getting derailed fairly quickly. <coughs> uh, 
So keep those things in mind when you're trying to pitch yourself. Your elevator pitch should be concise. The big thing about pitching your novel or your story for an anthology is it should have a compelling hook. And this is something that Mike and I were discussing. Um, if you've got some supernatural baddie in your book, that should be your hook in the pitch. They're going to meet the poor family that's going to be terrorized by this supernatural baddie when they read the book or they read the story. But you want that supernatural baddie to catch them or you want the, the killer or whatever the big ha-ha in your book is, that needs to be the focus of your hook. That needs to be the point, the piece that's going to dig into the reader or the editor or the publisher and yank them in. You want that. It should be, it should clearly identify your target audience or market. If it's a kid's book, say it's a kid's book. If you're targeting lonely housewives, Sitting at home, say that. You're writing for Harlequin. If, if you're trying to write the next um, Kiss the Girls or Along Came a Spider, if you're trying to be the next James Patterson, then you, that you need to clearly identify the audience or the market that you're targeting. If you're targeting, you know, preteens, teenagers, uh, millennials, Gen X, whatever. That needs to be in your pitch. Um, <laughs> now, one of the things that they're suggesting is that your pitch should be reducible to a single sentence. And if you can get your pitch down to a single sentence... I mean, okay, think about Cujo. How would Stephen King pitch that in one sentence to make it interesting enough to want to read it? Um, <laughs> let's see. So you've got slobbery rabid dog, slobbery rabid possessed dog. Wait, slobbery rabid possessed St. Bernard because it's a big dog. Well, maybe take out slobbery. So, rabid possessed St. Bernard traps single mom and son in car and attempts to eat them. You know, I mean, obviously you know, it needs a bit of work, but You've put the supernatural baddie at the very beginning of the sentence, the dog. Because the dog is, in that movie, the dog is the important character. The dog is the main character. It's not the mom trying to, to save her son and, and make sure that the two of them survive this, you know, supernaturally rabid dog. It's the dog. The dog is what scares the shit out of you in the story. The dog is what you're focused on. It's the teeth and the slobber and the lunging. And, you know, like, 
It's the dog that is the story. Not the mom, not the kid. It's the dog. Even the name, Cujo. That's the dog's name. So that pitch puts the dog as the focus of the whole pitch. Um, sorry, I'm carrying on here. So, all right. So you want your elevator pitch to be concise. Now, concision, saying as much as possible, using as few words as possible, is always important in writing styles because you, if you don't waffle, I know what y'all are thinking, get out of the gutter. You give the reader maximum value. This rule applies to fiction writing and promotional communications, especially the latter, because while the reader might sit down to read a book leisurely, publishers are busy people who receive many, 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 many pitches. So to make an elevator pitch for your novel suitably short, cut out unnecessary phrases like the book is about. Take it out. Leave that out. Um, like instead of putting in the book is about a man who is able to predict environmental disasters with freakish accuracy. Right, Ben has a mysterious power. The ability to predict environmental disasters. So with Cujo, you could be, Cujo has a problem. He's kind of possessed. You know, only include what is most interesting about your book, the primary themes, the character, or the conflict of your story. Leave everything else out. If they want to know the rest, they'll read it. If that, if the primary theme, character, or the conflict grabs their attention, they will learn the rest as they read the book. Your hook. If you do not have a compelling hook, it will, fa it will fail to stand out in a sea of pitches. So think about your pitch as a color, okay? Your pitch is going in on a white piece of paper with black writing in amongst thousands of other pitches on white paper with black writing. You want your pitch to be hot pink paper, neon green writing. That's going to stand out. So the words that you use should be hot pink paper and neon green writing compelling. Make it interesting by creating a strong why. Why did the girl go missing? Why is the, nun, the son not spoken to his father in 40 years? Why is the dog possessed? Why is the mother and the kid trapped in the car? Why did the cat come back from the dead? Okay, so my live studio audience said something about why am I constantly thinking about killing people? His sign language needs a little work. A why is gray? Oh, the gray-eyed man killing people. Ah, see, there we go. See, he's pitching his book to you through me, but he's pitching his book. <laughs> he gets it. Okay. So 
Do you want to indicate stakes and sources of tension? Give a sense of how your book is going to grip the readers, even if it's a romance novel and not a thriller. Sell what makes your character's relationship compelling. So if I were to, to market Eternally Bound as strictly romance, that's it. It's just marketing the romance side of it. Uh, the hook that I would use about the compellingness of the relationship between Lance and Gwen would be their past lives. The fact that they keep dreaming these same dreams, they each keep having the same dreams about past lives that they've shared. And they don't um, talk about it until the dreams actually take on a more sinister kind of feel to it. And then they realize that they've been having these, both having the exact same dreams. So that would be the compelling aspect that I would use if I was to market it strictly as romance. Um, like, is there an obstacle to them being together? Well, you know, Lance is married to Abby. She's kind of an obstacle. She's a bit of a shrew. And nobody likes her. So, yeah, you know. <clears throat> Great stories pose interesting problems such as what if a man was the last human on earth or um, what if there was a portal leading to another world where society and power are configured completely differently than our world. Kind of like a, a flip or a, um, a negative, a negative, like a picture negative. The best elevator pitch novel writers can create is one that clarifies a story's central problem and ultimate solution within the problem part of the pitch. And yes, you do want to put your problem and solution in your pitch because <coughs> you're not trying to hook a reader into reading the book to find out what the solution is. You want to show, if you're pitching to an editor or you're pitching to a publisher, you want to show them that you've created this huge problem, but you've also created a hell of a satisfying solution. So the potential for reader interest should be clear. Why would readers in my target audience find this interesting? You need to ask that question and be able to answer it. The potential for drama, suspension, ten suspense, and tension, the ingredients of page turners, should be clear. You, have, you need to have drama, you need to have suspense, and you need to have tension. To have a good book. You need to put that in your pitch. I know this is sounding like a lot to put in a 30 second or 60 second pitch, but you can do it with very few words. The themes the story deals with, for example, power, corruption, uh, supernatural baddies, possession, hauntings, um, whatever, unknown gray-eyed killer, should be clear. Now, with the solution part of the pitch, it should be clear how your story will creatively resolve the primary conflicts. It should be clear in just a few sentences or bullet points what the ultimate crux of the story will be. Now, it should also clearly identify your target audience or market. So, if I'm going to market say the chosen my target audience would be probably i'd say 15 
to 30-year-olds, and the market would be fantasy. Would definitely be fantasy. If I was going to be marketing through the eyes of madness, it would be more of a 35 to 45 age demographic. And I would market in the um, crime drama, action suspense, um, thriller kind of, of market. So the simple truth is that publishers are working in a world where it is increasingly challenging to earn good money without huge efforts. Herculean. There we go. Herculean efforts. So reduce the amount of joining the dots publishers have to do because it will make your pitch more appealing. Make your elevator pitch identify your target audience or market and why your story in particular is going to appeal to that target market or audience. In as few words as possible, of course. It's advisable to keep your story summary separate from details on your target market because it lets the pitch recipient digest your central idea without other distraction. It's a good idea to simply put target audience as one of the subheadings beneath your headings, and this is for writing out your pitch. Um, when you're submitting your work to a publisher <clears throat> and you're doing it with your query letter and your pitch. So um, identifying word count and genre. So put it beneath your headings, like you've got your word count, your genre, target audience. Put it there. Including this shows the editor or, you know, small publisher like we are, that you have thought concisely about where your book will fit in the crowded market. Mention approximate reading age, group, interest categories. Um, like, for example, readers of literary romance who enjoy who enjoy established authors in that genre. Um, if you're writing in the, say, the vampire, werewolf type genre, you can mention Kelly Armstrong, you can mention Laurel K. Hamilton, you can mention Anne Rice, that kind of demographic. And your pitch should be reducible to a single sentence. If you have truly distilled what a unique story what makes your unique story fantastic and worthy of publication, you should be able to reduce your pitch to a single sentence. This kind of information that will be placed on a duster jacket. Right there on the front cover. If you want inspiration on how to write short, powerful summaries of your story ideas, see the collected lists of New York Times bestsellers, where you can read the blurb for each book. For example, looking at blurbs for the New York Times bestsellers list for January 3rd and say 2016. <coughs> 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 now, I do believe I mentioned this particular author and this particular character earlier. Detective Alex Cross returns to Starksville, North Carolina, his hometown, for the first time in 35 years to help a cousin who has been accused of murder. That was one sentence. James Patterson, Cross Justice. A mystical tale of a guitar's genius journey. Wait, hold on. Let me start again. A mystical tale of a guitar genius's journey through 20th century music. That was Mitch Album, The Magic Strings of Frankie Presto. Both the above examples contain several of the ingredients of a great novel elevator pitch. Why? Because they tell us who the central character is, 
They raised questions. Why hasn't Alex Cross been home in 35 years? What's kept him away? They promised intrigue. The detective's cousin is being accused of murder. Frank Pesto is a genius, and his story promises to be mystical. They also make a potential audience apparent. Patterson's blurb appeals to fans of murder mystery and detective novels, while the latter appeals to fans of the... I don't know if I want to even try and attempt to pronounce that word. I'm not sure if I can pronounce that word. So, um, we're just going to go, appeals to fans of novels about artists' personal development. So, all of those things are important elements of an elevator pitch. And those things, if you incorporate those things into your pitch, that will get you notice. That will get you attention. That will get your pitch recognized over and above all of the other pitches. Um, and I think for me, as an editor that receives pitches for the magazine, pitches for our publishing house, the shorter the pitch is and the faster it grabs my attention, the more likely I am to respond and say, um, more please, more please. And there are several people that will uh, will tell you that I have actually signed them on their pitch alone. I have offered them a writing contract, a publishing contract on their pitch alone because their pitch was that good. Their pitch gave me everything I needed to know in as few sentences as possible. I knew age demographic. I knew genre. I knew target market, I knew the main character, I knew what the problem was, how they solved the problem, and all of the other crucial details. I didn't need to read it. I mean, I did read it, obviously. I did read it. But the pitch itself was so good and, and grabbed my attention so quickly that... I went, uh, yeah. Yes, please. Uh, there's actually a book by, um, trying to remember now. Because there's been a couple that I've done that to. Um, Walter actually has a little, um, I'm not even sure what you call it kind of book. But when he pitched it to me, I do believe the title of it is So You're in a Horror Movie, Now What? Um, and then his Cowboys and Aliens. He's pitched them both to me, and I've said yes to both of them. Because the pitch just grabbed my attention. I haven't read them. But the pitch grabbed my attention. My bed is full of salt. Don't ask me why. I have no idea why, but it's very gritty and I'm not happy about it. I have to vacuum my bed before I can get into it. Um, the pitches were so good and gave me everything I needed to know about the story that I knew, okay, this is good. 
this will grab people's attention. This will, this is what we want. Yes. Gimme. I'll take it. Come on. Gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> um, so yeah, if you follow those simple, well, okay, not so simple rules on um, pitches, then you should be able to write a fairly decent elevator pitch and try it out. Like I rehearsed mine so that I could do it naturally, so that they sounded like I was just having a conversation with a person about my book. It didn't sound like I was pitching anybody. Um, it, the idea of an elevator pitch is to get somebody to publish a book. You don't want it to tell the whole story of your novel, but you want it to tell enough that it gets the person's attention. It's your one shot at getting attention for your book. So you want to make it your best shot. And it's a very, very powerful marketing tool. If you've ever taken your book and gone to a convention, those first few people that come up to your table and they're looking at your book, I expected I would just stand there <coughs> and they would come up, they would read the big, long, black, back, bleh, back blurb on the back of my book. And then they would look at me and go, oh, this sounds really good. Here's your money. Can you sign this for me? And off they'd go. I didn't actually, the very first um, con that I did, I didn't actually think I had to talk to people. <coughs> I didn't actually think I would have to sell not only my book, but myself to the person standing in front of me. A complete stranger that I didn't know. And they picked up the book. They kind of scanned the back of it. And they said, so what's this about? And I'm thinking, you just read it. You just read the back. You know what it's about. So I learned very quickly how to read people. So if a guy picked up my book, tell me about your book. What's this about? Do you like ships? Schooners, to be precise. On how to build them. Do you like stuff that blows up? Do you like cannons? How about pirates? You'll like this book. And your wife will want to read it too. I have sold just as many books to men as I have to women. By targeting the aspects of the book that are going to appeal to the men. The big battle scene on the beach where there's bayonets and blood and guts and gore everywhere. People are fighting, and I have some pretty epic moves in that battle scene on the beach. I tell them about it. Oh, that sounds cool. They take the book. Um, but going to events with your book helps you hone that elevator pitch fairly quickly because... You have people coming up to your table. They don't know who you are. They don't know what you've written. They want to know who you are. They want to know what you've written. And then they will decide. And I've actually had people, you can you can change somebody's mind just by talking to them with your elevator pitch. Writers love to write. 
But to get that book in print, they need to learn how to sell. And we are not good at that at all. We all have this vision. And TV perpetuates this vision of our editors calling us up and saying, hey, how are the new pages coming? And us as writers sitting in our little cabin in the woods with the beautiful view of the lake and the loons and, you know, the graceful deer that walks through the front yard in our lovely writing room. Answering, oh, they're coming along swimmingly. I will email them to you by the end of the week. And you hang up the phone and there's the only contact you have with the outside world. That is not reality at all. Not even a little bit. Even big authors still have to sell their work. I follow quite a few of them on Twitter, Stephen King being one of them. And he's always the first one that pops to mind because he's all over Twitter. Every time I log into Twitter, there's like 18 um, tweets from him that I've missed. So he is still out there and he's not like he's not always talking about his book, but he's making sure he's out there. He's being seen. You know, his tweets are being seen. Um, he's not getting lost in the feed. He's still marketing himself. And by marketing himself, he's marketing his books. Because Stephen King can now market himself on his name alone. Stephen King's name will sell his books. Because he's written enough books, he's done enough crappy movies, that people know who he is. Doesn't matter what age group they're from. They know who he is. They've either come to Stephen King's writing through Castle Rock on TV or Haven or the new Pet Cemetery, or they've come to him through Sleepwalkers, Tommyknockers, um, Cujo, those kinds. Or they've come to him from books like The Stand and It, Needful Things doesn't matter how they've come to Stephen King they've they they know his name so you can say Stephen King in pretty much any any age demographic and they'll know him most of it from it most of them from it in any age from it stupid red balloon anyway even talented writers struggle at pitching so there are many theories. Some say a pitch has to be as short as possible, only outlining your plot. Others say your pitch must also tell a publisher what books your novel compares to so that the publisher can see you've already scanned the market. Agents and publishers themselves are wary of giving authors a formula to create the perfect pitch. If you check the database of successful magazine pitches, you'll see that they are all very different from each other. Nonetheless, some bloggers, and I say that with air quotes, have come up with formulas. You can try them out if you really don't have a clue, but remember agents and publishers know these formulas as well and easily judge your pitch as being less creative. 
Um, the three S's. They all agree on these underlying principles. Short, simple, snappy. No longer than 30 to 50 words, which is about 60 seconds. Just the basics. And so interesting that an editor or agent will ask you for a synopsis. Yes, the synopsis. That will be next week. The bane of every writer. You think the, the elevator pitch is bad. Try writing a synopsis. And take out all the good words. So try the three-sentence approach first. When you're writing your pitch, try the three-sentence approach. Um, so you want the log line, general idea, and then the hook. The idea is, and, and the picture that they've given is a, is a triangle. So the top, the triangle is upside down. So the longest part, basically the bottom of the triangle is at the top, and that's the log line. And then you want the general idea, and then you want the hook. So the idea is that you give the most relevant information first. That way you make sure that the agents or publishers hear it no matter how much time they really have. Getting a minute to pitch is what you hope for, but you don't usually get that long. You usually get about six or seven words. And you need to grab their attention in those six or seven words. So the log line must be extremely short. It should answer six basic questions. I'll tell you what they are. Again, using the technique of the inverted pyramid, um, the log line must contain the protagonist, the basic action of the book, the setting, the period, and then you can add a reason, you can add a manner, and if necessary, but never, ever, ever say how the book ends. That is for your synopsis. So let's use Harry Potter as an example. So your log line is going to have who? Harry Potter, an orphan 12-year-old boy. What? Learns how to do magic and has adventures. Where? In London at a secluded wizarding school. When? In our present time. Why? Because he's the son of a witch and a wizard. How? by receiving an invitation to the school. Sometimes not all six questions are relevant. Simply answer as many of them as you can and want to. In this example, you string all the answers together and get a long line like this. 12-year-old orphan from present-day London goes to a secluded wizarding school to learn magic. 15 words. There you go. I would have started out with at a secluded wizarding school, boom, you've got somebody's attention. A 12-year-old orphan, eh, it's been done. Note that in your very first sentence, you do not include the title of your book or any names. This information comes later. Then you get the general idea. Hopefully you've caught the agent's or publisher's attention by this point. It's time to let the title of your masterpiece slip. Apart from the title, you should include your genre in this sentence and something to get the agent or publisher's attention. You do this by giving a glimpse of what they're looking for. 
a marketable idea. That's all publishers are looking for. They don't care if you have rewritten the alphabet in Elvin. They want a marketable idea. If they can sell it, they'll take it. They don't care what it is. It could be the hokey pokey written backwards in Swahili. But if you can market it as a marketable, if you can sell it to them as a marketable idea, a publisher will take it. Ideally, this would be a high concept idea. A high concept idea has a broad appeal. It promises big sales for the book. It usually entails a what if. If the movie Jurassic Park, for example, is based on a high concept idea, what if you could clone dinosaurs? As Jeff Goldblum says, just because you could doesn't mean you should. Instant blockbuster, right? Blockbuster ideas must be original, obvious, and easily communicated. We're going back to Harry Potter. So here's a high concept idea that is a question. What if magic could exist in our world? The hook. This is where you can include something which gives the agent or publisher an ultimate nudge to ask for more information about your story. This sentence varies greatly with every book. You could mention other relevant themes from your story, which gives us a feeling for the universe you've created. For Harry Potter, this could be, but not even magical powers can prevent evil from threatening modern Britain. 12 words. You take all of these three sentences together, and a pitch for Harry Potter could sound like this. A 12-year-old orphan from present-day London goes to a secluded wizarding school to learn magic. Harry Potter is a coming-of-age fantasy novel describing how magic can coexist in our world. But not even magical powers can prevent evil from threatening modern Britain. There's your hook. There's your pitch, right there. It's 42 words long, which is well within the limits. And you, can you see how, if we don't get past the log line, we have still delivered an interesting pitch. Um, other examples, let's say Snow White. A princess fights for dear life as her stepmother tries to kill her. This fairy tale is a romantic coming of age story about friendship in unlikely places where good triumphs over evil. Back to the future, one of my favorite movies. A 1980s teen from California travels through time to the 1950s where he must, take, he must make sure his parents meet or he'll cease to exist. This movie is a cross between science fiction and teenage romance. And then another one of my favorites and my live studio audience's favorites as well. He'll get a kick out of this pitch. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy by Douglas Adams. And I now have his attention. <coughs> An Englishman in a bathrobe survives the explosion of planet Earth by hitching a ride with an alien spaceship. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a witty novel combining the realm, I wouldn't actually call it witty, but is a witty novel combining the realms of interstellar travel and wacky British humor. Readers learn the secret of life and why a towel is so important to survival. Huh. Yeah, that was a good one. Sherlock Holmes by Arthur Conan Doyle. A high-functioning sociopath of Victorian London solves the crimes which Scott... I love that line right there. That line right there, if somebody sent me a pitch with just that line, 
would have my attention. A high-functioning sociopath of Victorian London solves the crimes which Scotland Yard cannot. A high-functioning sociopath. Usually sociopaths are killers. This one's solving crimes. That has my attention right there in just one sentence. This collection of stories centers around Sherlock Holmes, an extremely intelligent man outwitting the most cunning criminals. This master detective must solve the most difficult riddles and find clues that are invisible to others. So, there you go. That is your How to Write an Elevator Pitch in as few words as possible podcast. I hope that has given you some kind of an idea. Um, to be quite honest with you, I suck at writing elevator pitches. I It took me a long time to hone the ones that I have. And um, <clears throat> I still don't have eternally bound down to 60 seconds or less. Um, but if you, with practice and word elimination, I, one of the things that I do is I will write out my pitch and then I will go in and I will scratch out all the unnecessary words, all the ands, ofs, um, this book type stuff, take them all out. And then I take what's left and try and form a cohesive, understandable sentence out of it. So remember, the important thing about your elevator pitch is it has to grab the person's attention in the very first sentence. Then you can give, once you have their attention, you can carry on with the rest of the information. Make that first sentence count. And I think it's something that I do with my writing. If I sit down to write a story or I sit down to work on one of my books, I struggle over that very, very first sentence. I write it and I rewrite it and I rewrite it again. And it takes me, most of the time of writing, it takes me like a good half hour to 45 minutes, sometimes a few hours to get that first sentence just perfect, just the way I want it. Because that first sentence is the hook for me. That first sentence pulls you into the story. It's like the beginning of the movie where the screen goes black. That very first scene that you see is what, boom, puts you into the atmosphere of the movie. So for me, that first line leads into that first paragraph. And that first paragraph, those first few sentences have to grab my reader and keep them for the whole book. So I agonize over that first sentence of every book I've ever written, every story I have ever written. I agonize over that first sentence. Just so you know. <laughs> All right. I am going to wrap this up. Yeah. Well, you know, some people can just sit down and it just pours out of their fingers. Uh-huh. And some of us have more books written. <laughs> yeah, sit over there and brag about the fact that you can just sit down and write. Once I get past that first sentence, though, boom, I'm gone. It's like 
I can write 2,500 words in a half hour. Once, once I get past that first sentence, then I fly through the rest of it. It just, it's like, it's all the words just kind of fall into place. So for me, it's that first sentence. It's getting past that first sentence and that first paragraph. Um, so it's kind of, that's kind of my pitch. The first paragraph of every one of my books is kind of my pitch. So there you go. All right, everybody, I'm going to wrap this up for this week. Next week will be, what day will it be? Uh, next week uh, will be, um, actually, <laughs> well, if I, if I podcast on, no, yeah, if I podcast on Tuesday, I will be podcasting from California. So I think I'm going to podcast on the Monday because I think I'm going to be a little too tired and a little too excited and a little too busy hugging everybody and just enjoying the fact that I haven't seen these people in four months um, to podcast on the Tuesday. So I will podcast on Monday from Florida and then my podcast the week of the 18th will be from California. So I will podcast the week of the 11th from Florida, and then the, the week of the 18th, I will podcast from California. All right, everybody. I hope you all have a wonder, had a wonderful Halloween. I hope that you've had a good start to November. The countdown to Christmas is on for the Canadians. The countdown to Thanksgiving is on for the Americans. And Black Monday or Black Friday and Cyber Monday is coming, so keep your eyes peeled. Pretty sure Myth Mart's gonna have some pretty good sales for you, and that's gonna be store wide. So remember the three rules be kind, wash your hands, say it with me now, and don't lick shit. All right, everybody. Um, I gotta go. I will talk to you all next week. See ya. Carry on all the way, well, son. There'll be peace when you are gone. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Don't you cry.